The presenting sponsors for the Benchers Assemble is the Naughty Law Group. They're the por- trusted partner that you want to go to with the lawyer who has your best interest in need and for whatever type of issue that you might see. Look, we can talk about you having a car. You're having issues with the insurance. They don't want to pay out. You have any issues with the landlord. You have a business pr- partner that's not acting on the up and up. Maybe he went and talked to that old state senator, Clay. Look, there's one man you need to talk <laughs> to, and that's our friend John Naughty over at thenaughtylawgroup.com. With a history of getting his clients exactly what, they, what, uh, exactly what they're looking for. Check them out. That's John Naughty over at www.naughtylawgroup.com. Welcome to the Bingers Assemble. I hope our audience is ready for some deep cuts and some super passion this week. We got Chris Wiggins, a.k.a. Avon Barksdale, a.k.a. Bunk Moreland, a.k.a. Tommy Carcetti in the house. You know what's good? Um, I love the, <laughs> the characters I've been given, like legit. Yeah. <laughs> We also got Mike Padilla, a.k.a. Lester Freeman, a.k.a. Brother Muzone, a.k.a. Maurice Levy, all up in it right now. Yo, what up? I'm I'm happy that you um, compared me to Maurice Levy, the lawyer who is basically responsible for getting Barksdale and everybody out of jail, so... You're you're responsible for keeping us on topic always, keeping us in the <laughs> real always. That's exactly why I did it, and I love it that you got it. Uh, I am Jimmy McNulty, aka Scott Bauer, welcoming you to the Bingers Assemble. So, guys, I can't describe like how damned excited I am for this episode. Like, this is cinematic art in its highest form. So like you got you, you know like the whole argument about like the 70s were the greatest decade in film history. Yeah, it is. I, I think so too. It's like a fact basically, right? I think also what a fact is that the 2000s were the greatest decade in TV history. Like Ooh. This, this decade shifted TV okay. from sitcom to like true cinema. Like now the greatest things, like binging, like the reason we exist is binging television shows. Like there has been a tectonic shift into TV, and I think the 2000s were directly related to that, and I think The Wire is absolutely related to that. You already know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, no, uh, so, 2000s TV, just fucking money, like legit. Like, I, and this. Like this starting out so early, yeah. All right, I'll let you continue, but man, I mean, exactly, dude. I, I mean, I let's talk say... about some of the shows. We had The Sopranos, The West Wing, Sex in the City episode. Oz. Check it out on our channel. Free Geeks, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Oz, <clears throat> The Family Guy, Six Feet Under, Arrested Development, Thirty Rock, The Daily Show, Doctor Who, and. The, like, I think the reason this whole list that I put, and I wasn't, like, trying to find 
oh, well, I don't know. I need to find one that's, like, written by a black guy or, like, uh, okay. a non-Western guy. No, 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 for real, though. Like, <laughs> all of these shows, this is what's great about this decade. Like, the variety of talent among these shows is is self-evident like it's 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 incredible i mean there, there's so many sort of careers being made uh the diversity of writing all of that it's just i think it was a very natural way of like storytelling and i think they had to realize that, that we, we've got to like strike while the iron's hot like this is the whole remember this the uh writers guild uh struck in what was it 2006 2007 like in the mid midst of this transformational change yeah i gotta say that along with everything you mentioned um we gotta give props to hbo for really setting the tone with a lot of these scripted series because i feel like at that time you know like you mentioned like sitcoms were what ruled tv and premium cable was around but it wasn't really as popular or as watched once you started to see shows like Oz and Sex in the City uh, come into fruition, and then obviously then the progression with now The Wire, um, you had other, you know, now cable TV networks trying to copy that same format. A good example of it would be The Shield. Essentially, The Shield yeah. basically tried to mimic exactly what The Wire portrayed. And so I think a lot of, a lot of credit needs to be given where it's due to HBO for really setting that tone and establishing you know that that transition to now creating more of like this gritty cinema you know what we, we, you know the shield came out like a few months before the wire right um just yeah saying. i mean <laughs> but the wire is that good that it the, the wire is no, that good so. that it influenced a show that predated it like that look he uh, david simon what mike he's... was saying was i think what yeah. mike was saying that was that the shield was the dollar store version of uh, the Tarche wire <laughs> No, because what I will say is this. So you're, thank you for fact checking me on that one. But the HBO point Oz, is fucking fantastic. Though. It is. It is. No, it right, it only it only like, predated it by uh like really like two months though. So, so it's not that. <laughs> and what's to say? I mean, you know, as production was going on, that Correct. you know they were basically taking place around the same time you know yeah i mean with screenplays and everything else you know these projects take a while to launch but what i was going to say is that oz was a predecessor because oz was like 90 what 98 99 oz was amazing and like 80 percent right? so of that cast is in this show so exactly is that done by the same guy or no 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 the same production company, same lots of things. It wasn't a David Simon show, though. Okay, no. gotcha. Which is so, another shout-out I want to give to HBO because they tend to recycle a lot of the actors, so you'll see 80% of the actors They were pre-Netflix, what Netflix does. Yeah. Right, exactly. So I'm saying, after all these amazing shows, this, this entire decade of everything that we've talked about, uh, the greatest show of the decade, uh, and this is ranked number one according to IMDb, uh, President Obama agrees. He had an interview with David Simon. And John uh, McCain. And John McCain. And John McCain would agree. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. I think the uh, uh, I want to say like oh. loved. Yeah, he's like, look, I I found myself to be a huge fan of that show. I uh, sometimes I just grab the remote and then uh, yeah would need to grab something else and I put the remote down and then I'd be watching. The, and I'd be watching Little the wire. Facts. This was probably one of the only things they agreed on in 2007. 
Well, they probably, probably agreed that McCain was going to lose. <laughs> you know, he's just like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the show, actually, I think McCain was on record saying the show was so good he could enthusi- enthusiastically clap with both hands. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, this was the greatest show of the decade uh, by IMDb and the greatest show also agreed by President Obama. But I actually think that this is the greatest show of all time. So if it, we already discussed it. I don't think there's an argument. I think everybody agrees. 2000s, transition of TV into what we consider the greatest media right now. Uh, if it's already the best show of that decade, it's the best show of all time. Ooh. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there's a debate. It's a bold so, statement. I mean, we'll get into it, but we're going to try to see what the fans think. So, fan of the show, David Simon. Uh, he was the creator, executive producer, head writer, showrunner for all five seasons. Uh, he was a journalist in Baltimore, The Wire, the show. It's set in Baltimore, for those of you who don't know. He was a journalist uh, for the Baltimore Sun for 12 years. Uh, I don't think we can talk about The Wire, though, without discussing Ed Burns. Uh, Ed Burns is basically the co-creator and main collaborator with David Simon. Like, basically, they have a pretty lengthy career together, but for the purpose of this show, uh, David Simon, Edward Burns, great, great uh, coupling there. Burns is a former uh, Baltimore police detective. This is a police show, for those of you who don't know, uh, in the Homicide and Narcotics Division. Uh, and then he transitioned to a public school teacher. So he mm. often, uh, he says he often draws upon these experiences for his writing. So basically he's Roland Prespaluski, um, character in the show. Uh, so certainly their experiences in Baltimore, like the, the two of these, it, they bleed through the screen. Um, something in, in cinema and TV, everything, right? Uh, that's been just a, a super common theme in the whole world is uh, New York. Uh, it's romanticized. Everything's great. Oftentimes, especially in Woody Allen movies, it becomes a character of the movie, right? You can't talk about uh, everything without talking about New York. Uh, David Simon and Ed Burns did to Baltimore what Woody Allen did to New York. They finally made Baltimore a character in a, in a, in a city. Uh, and so... They got something better than pink flamingos and hairspray. Nice, yeah. That play, that city's giving us caricatures like Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> uh, Famous is that Baltimore where her, uh, super native. Rich parents are from? Did they invent I believe sugar? So. Yeah, that's uh, like her that and Spiro Agnew and yeah. like basketball players who play no defense. <laughs> a lot, a lot of defense hairspray. in the wire. Uh, if if if. If we have any musical fans, Hairspray, John Travolta actually pulls off like a perfect Baltimore accent in Hairspray. It's pretty impressive. So we could analyze a lot about David Simon and Ed Burns. Uh, as I said, they, they had a lot of great, amazing TV shows. The Corner is something worth checking out. It's a miniseries. But, um, you know, it's two white guys writing a story that involves a lot of black characters, black families, but whatever. We can analyze all of this, but here's 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 my thing. I'm a, I I have been and I always will be a firm believer that after the production of art, any art, the author dies and the reader is birthed. And so this is why I love people like Michael Jackson. I still love Bill Cosby. 
I still mm. love. Uh, it feels like maybe one of those examples would have been used, and then the other one would have been omitted. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Michael Vick served his time. I mean, what can I say? <laughs> so anyway, let's get into it. Uh, the Wire, the greatest show ever created. But first, let's hear some of that music. What do you guys think about this? Just yeah, I, I, I think that it's inescapable. Um, a show that people think that this show steals from, the rewatchables, um, by the great Bill Simmons, who people think that I steal from. Um, he's on record with, hey, referencing The Wire, as he's a huge uh, fan of one of the actors that we're going to get into, Michael K. Williams. Um, I'll, I'll say this, right? Um, I, don't, I don't think that there is any semblance of a guy's guy from age 30 until I want to say age 58 that doesn't have a discussion about the wire at least two or three times per year. And if that (laughs) isn't occurring, I want to say that you won't find someone within that demographic that has not seen the show. Um, it is, and that, and that's not me implying that it's a man show. We'll get. I think we might get into this or whatever. Um, that's not me to imply that it's a man show or a show only for men. Um, it's just that you got to think back to 2002, like right? Sex and the City, which we covered on our debut episode, was fucking killing it, right? Killing it. Um, you know, and then you had shows like Oz, and I say that the art house individuals were watching that. I I think around that time frame, it was sort of not necessarily uh hey uh, hey dude i just watched oz last night right uh, not not a lot of that right that's just not a lot of water weird. cooler talk yeah not oz. a lot of water cooler talk around <laughs> hey, did you see what jk simmons did to the guy who's also on svu right not not a lot of that um the, like you look at the wire and it's Seriously. like look you get a show that is essentially scarface uh, everything that you saw out of movies like scarface carlito's way uh new jack city uh, you know, the Kings of New York, you get this every fucking week, 13 episodes per year, you know, Seriously. um, it, just unfathomable, unfathomable to have this. And then on top of that, it wasn't just like uh, glorified, uh, torture or drug, yada, yada, right. It's like well-written. Um, it's well-scripted. Uh, the actors just on point and it, it, you can look at it and make the case, right. I, maybe Reggie Carthy was like the only actor that was actually that actually had like some things under his belt, like significantly right. that was on the show. And it's just like these individuals and you're just watching, hey, I'm looking at something special with everybody that's on here. 100%. And this is what's going to be hard later on with some of our categories in terms of like best performance and so Like, I mean, I don't know that there's a show that that has as many characters that you like and as many characters that you hate, but you still also like because they're incredible, and then have also gone on to careers or... Yeah, we'll get into... I mean, it's it's a great call-out. I mean, this cast and the writing is is fucking fantastic. Mike, what do you think? Um, 
I tell a lot of people about this show as far as like my perspective of it being one of the greatest shows ever. Um, and I hear a lot of mixed reviews from people. Some people say like, oh, I try to watch it and I just couldn't get into it, which I, I don't understand how. You probably so don't like Kaepernick either. <laughs> well, I, I just Both feel of like... those things. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Kaepernick, by the way. Um, but no, like I just feel like when I first watched the first episode, like it starts off fast, you know, like you have oh yeah, murder, real fast, and then but the greatest you, opening scene of all time, which we'll get into, right? And it just picks up from there. Like you get introduced to a lot of the characters, you know, with that being you know Avon Barksdale, and with like the whole court scene with like uh, with uh, D'Angelo, and you yeah. start to pick up on like this whole crime drama, and you're like you you get hooked. At least that was the case for me. And, you know, like, as the seasons progressed, like, the storyline changed a little bit, and it, it took off in a different format. But I think so many things can be taken from this show as far as, like, the talent behind a lot of the actors, you know? Because you had a young Michael B. Jordan in there. You had, um, you know, Stringer Bell, which was basically, like, a young Idris Elba. You had, you know, Michael K. Williams, who was still coming up in the ranks as far as, like, being an actor. Because prior to that, he was a dancer, known for being boys with Tupac, you know? So a lot of these people are really coming into the limelight now as actors and really displaying their talents. And so I feel like the messaging behind it, because Wiggins, you and I have had this discussion before, like essentially this is kind of based on a true story in a way with Karketi being a fictional character and, you know, everything else that that led to. So I just think so, so much can be taken from this show. And I think that's why you can argue that it's, one of the greatest shows ever made. Yeah. Look, let's put it this way. All right. This is how good this damn show is. All right. It oh, sunk yeah. the viability of a very great presidential candidate. All right. Look, the fact of the matter is Martin O'Malley was made to be a motherfucking president. For once, you're going to you're gonna have a guy that can play the guitar really well. You know, actually, you know, actually worked out. You know, they said he had a dad, Bob, but there was like a lot of six pack under the fat. Right. Um, and who was an executive executive, right? We're talking about he's a mayor, then made it to governor, right? You barely see that kind of shit, right? Then, uh, the Freddie Gray protests break out, and then all of a sudden, it's, it's David Simon comes out, oh, I based the wire on when fucking Martin O'Malley was the mayor, right? And then they're at a debate right after, in Baltimore, after our guy dies in Baltimore, <laughs> and then they're like, uh, well, we're, you know, we don't really give you a lot of time, but let's just go ahead and jump to Martin O'Malley. What do you think about the fact that The Wire was based on you and what happened to this guy uh, is because of you? You know, uh, that that's hurt. how great the show is. You're like, yeah, yeah you, you, exactly. you, you don't, yeah, like you don't see that. Everybody knew, ooh, he's bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? It's like, all right, he's just in there, uh, yeah, just trying to do it. They're like, oh, no, they're like, you're The Wire. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, so you, powerful. You, you just Seriously. don't see that, right? Like, what do you no. call it? Rudy, Rudy Giuliani had two cop shows, right, that took place while he was mayor, right? And you get to watch fucking fat and Dennis Franz. Yeah. <laughs> right? And it catapulted him, right? Dennis Franz yeah. is showing his ass and beating the hell out of people, and he's openly racist. And Rudy Giuliani is no different, right? And he still gets to be, uh, he still gets to be a presidential candidate, right? This yeah. completely sunk Martin O'Malley. That's how great this show is. Well, I mean, let's not forget, though, we might end up seeing a movie or a show about some of Giuliani's later antics, which I won't get into, but you be the judge. 
defending and causing the opioid epidemic. <laughs> All right. So um, I've said it a dozen times, I feel like, on this episode. Um, but I'm going to give my spiel, my quick plug about why this is the greatest TV masterpiece of all time. So each season, I'm just going to go, I'm going to go kind of meta with it. So each season is an allegory for American society, told through a certain lens. But it uses Baltimore as like a microsm of the entire country. Uh, Additionally, every every season has an intro, so it has a quote for each episode, but... The, the intro song is always the same for all five seasons. Uh, it's Down in the Hole, written by singer and lyricist Tom Waits. But it's performed by a different artist each season whose interpretation matches the theme of that season. So you got season one, it's the introductory season. So it's really quick-paced, as Mike said. Uh, there's there's uh, people getting away with crimes, uh, the court looks bad. Everybody looks bad. Oh, no, what happens? There's this brilliant, young, uh, aspiring detective named Jimmy McNulty who sort of uh, galvanizes this force against his own uh, police captain's interests but, like, gets this case going because he knows the judge. Uh, and you so you see this detail in how they're going to, like, catch these bad guys. But then you also see this sort of, like, humanism of the Barks- Barksdale criminal empire, and you start really liking all of those characters, uh, especially Avon. Avon's amazing. Uh, and then season two, you've got uh, McDonald's does some shit, and they don't like him because of it. So he gets detailed where he doesn't want to be, which is the docks. But this episode sort of shows uh, how a bay with like boats coming in, it's, it's basically about the crumbling infrastructure in America and the destruction of the American working class. Uh, and then international interests basically introduce vices, drugs, women, material things. Um, they don't actually say it's the World Banks, but it is. But it's actually through this one criminal guy named the Greek. Uh, he, he basically brings all the drugs through chemicals to make heroin and crack to Avon Barksdale. Um, so he might have been or might not have been in the Reagan administration. Season three, we see how corruption is equally on Main Street, Wall Street, and Pennsylvania Avenue. So what I mean is like governor, circle, every everybody. Corruption exists from the criminal organization to within the police department and in politics. Um, and so this season's more focusing on sort of the political gains of the uh, Barksdale organization. So Stringer wants to kind of become legit, so he has to work with uh, sort of this whole idea of, like, the mafiosos working with the peasant Avante. Um, Very similar, though, so in sort of a small city. Um, But meanwhile, there's uh, also uh, Tommy Carchetti. He's running an excellent campaign vicious political moves. He says he's going to be an ally of someone and then undercuts them. Uh, old Tony's going to run education. Uh, he has a lot of prop plots, quid pro quos. We kind of set, set it up to be like, this guy's awful. Uh, meanwhile, as the Barksdale organization is sort of like outgrowing itself, you've got this young man named Marlo Stanfield. 
he's like from the streets. He wants to wear that crown. Uh, but the whole season summed up perfectly by McNulty in one of the last episodes. I caught him, Bunk. I fucking caught him on the wire. Talking about Stringer Bell. Uh, season four, we see how terrible and utter fun of the urban school system is. Religion, sports, these might be potential outlets for like urban students. But the reality is like they live their lives at home. Like they've already been recruited by drug organizations. They're they've already been like uh, kids shouting five O. Like there's just not a lot of hope for them. We see how They've just basically been abandoned by their government, uh, and and just the police are just constantly surveilling them. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it sounds like today. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, and then season five is the media. We see like manufacturing consent in action. So there's like election coverage. There's out uh, outrage addiction. There's fake news. Um, basically, uh, you really see. David Simon's commitment to, like, journalism and his sort of indictment of, of New Age journalism, this 24-hour news cycle that, that literally just gives you opinions all day and doesn't actually provide news. Like, you see this in action. Someone's lying about every story, and he's, like, up for a Pulitzer. Like, it's, it's fucking pathetic. Uh, you just sort of see this... this, this the, the, oh, and then the ending of the show. All right. I'm going to give you guys my spiel here because I've been spieling for a while, and I want your opinions. Mm -hmm. To me, the end of the show here, ending season, it wasn't cut to black from Sopranos, which people think were brilliant. It wasn't Walt loving his, uh, his, his gas mask, which was the only thing that fulfilled him in his life in, in, uh, in Breaking Bad. This season was absolute perfection the ending here so it ends with like an homage to the city uh with with brilliant mu music overlaying this homage because the music in this in this show is incredible it, it just sort of shows this cascading wasteland where each character that existed earlier is just forgotten they're fucking all dead or their careers are dead or they're dying or they're in a terrible position they're just forgotten and they're completely replaced by this younger generation which we were introduced to in season three um all the characters are replaced marlo replaces uh avon it's more ruthless it's just like a younger more ruthless more disenfranchised uh population who's just sort of overtaking everything it's just like a fucking perfect show Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think that, um, you know, I had an issue with the very last episode. <clears throat> All right. What? Be, well, I'm just saying Templeton wins a Pulitzer. And, you know, as a Pulitzer nominated podcaster, I just think that, you know, I, you know Templeton get one. Can't, why can't I? No, I kid you not. Um, I'll say this. Right. They did a what, what little that they had to work with as this. Uh, I believe this was sort of. If I'm not mistaken, this was interrupted by the writer's strike, uh, potentially. Um, and they, and I want to say, what I don't know if they had, uh, what do you, I want to say they had like five, five episodes in, uh, or sorry, 10 episodes here in that final season. Um, 
I thought that sort of in tying it together, right? Like you had mentioned just the year prior, the Sopranos had the, you know, the cut to black. There's no Seinfeld letdown thing. Um, they did go, they, they had a, they had a great way of sort of keeping the action going, right? And ending it on a fair note. And also, what do you call it? There's none of that sort of, what's, what's I want to call it, right? There's one like a lot of the sentimental shit that you get with the, with the shows like so i pr- appreciate the way that this did it sort of like ray romano where um it's a final episode right it's written it's um sort of written in the sense that everything's tied up without with without there being in the show that there's some um, oh there's a bunch of graduations or ceremonies i, I kind of hate that you know like it's like i'm already miserable that a show's ending um and so why do i need to act this all this fanfare and potpourri within the plot uh, i just want Sort of something to have happened, storylines to be tied up, and then they go about it like, as if it were like a normal day. Uh, I really do appreciate that uh, that aspect of it. Also, the fictitious, uh, uh, what do you call it? The fictitious serial killer plot. Uh, loved it. You, know? uh, you don't get that. You don't see that plot line too often. <laughs> and the copycat yeah, part of it too. Yeah, that fictitious exactly. homeless killer was definitely a... Uh... I don't know, man. I mean, that definitely makes you think twice about what you hear as far as, like, on the media, what you read in the paper. Fake news, man. You know, yeah. I mean, be that kind fake... of show, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, this This essentially painted a picture of a fake news before fake news became fake news. Oh, yeah. fake news has been around forever. Trump's trying to act like he invented that shit. He's stupid. Do you guys <laughs> like what happened to Cheese at the end, though? Cheese. Yeah. Yes. You liked it? What? With cheese? Yeah, you you like? Uh, yeah, bro. He set up his uncle. Come on, man. But come on, but like, he was such an engrossing character. Method Man's fucking is awesome, and we'll probably get it. Yeah, I love later, I but... love Method Man, and shout out to Wu Tang, like all members except um, Method just... Man. <laughs> no, no, no. I love I love Method. Not bro. cheese, Method Man. but yeah, Method Man. Um, <laughs> but just his character is cheese, bro. Like at first, I didn't mind him, you know, when he had that whole beef. Um, and Big yeah. Charles took boys, death. With, with your boy Ziggy. But now, nah, like, he sets up his uncle proposition, Joe, for him to be able to become a bigger player in the game. And I just thought that was foul. Like, not only are you setting up someone from your crew that put you on, but your own blood, your own uncle. So, him getting smoked at the end? Nah. Yo, Randy's a prop Joe, man. So, was Randy his kid or what? Yeah. Yeah, Randy's okay. his kid. Yeah. What, when did they talk about that? Um, they mentioned it briefly. Oh, I think Bunk. I think Bunk is talking about it because, correct. If if you remember, um, when he gets sent to, the, uh, the home from, for uh, like basically, foster kids. Um, mm-hmm. they try to go visit where him. Dick Grayson hangs out. They try to go visit him to um, interview him to get some Hopefully info. Hopefully not just Lane. And he sees he sees Bunk, and he just kind of mad dogs him and walks away because he basically blames him for being the reason that he ends up in there because he mm-hmm. was living with the foster mom. And that's okay. when the house gets burnt down, and then he gets caught up in all that others. Okay, you know so what's great about this show? It. Nicknames. You know, just nicknames like across the board. Uh, you know, from Bunk to Cheese. You know, to Wee uh, Wee Bay and you know Phil Boy and Bird, you know, fat, fat, yeah, Bird, Fat Face Rick. Hey, Bird. You know, just you know, even like to the like sort of kind of weak ass shit or whatever. You know, like Spider and Jay Spry and all. Uh, they just killed it with nicknames, just uh, across the board. But there was one nickname in particular that I think stood out 
and that was introduced at the beginning. The very first episode. Snot. Yes, yeah, not yeah. buggy. Yeah, I, I love you know when when he's talking about that. I think that's the first fucking scene too. And he goes, the "How does someone get a name scene. like?" Yeah, how does someone so get a name like? So we're going into snot? categories right now. We're he doesn't give right you a fucking Kleenex. Exactly, and says your, exactly. What kind of asshole doesn't give you a Kleenex and says that your name is Snot, right? <laughs> and like, there's a he, the guy that he's talking to. They give a uh, allegory. It's like an allegory, right? And he's just like, Correct. hey, that just shit happens, whatever, right? And that's just how it goes, you know. Uh, which is an allegory for sort of life here on the ball, the be more streets, you know? No, but I think life in general. So, no, it's that opening scene. Yeah, McNulty's yeah. talking to him. He doesn't actually even have a character name. It's the witness, right? Okay, yeah. And so what you're talking about, yeah, when you gave him the the uh, the nickname, uh, this is my probably my favorite scene. So this next category, this is a good introduction, is favorite scene. My favorite scene is that opening scene. Uh, so he tells him it's not Boogie. He goes, it's not Boogie. This kid whose mama went to the trouble of naming him Omar Isaiah Betts. You know, he forgets his jacket. His nose starts running. Some asshole, instead of giving him a Kleenex, calls him snot. So he's snot forever. Doesn't seem fair. Life just be that way, I guess. Right? So, anyway, he gets killed. And uh, he's not very happy about it. But he goes on to explain... That every night, he goes, uh, every Friday night, we in the alley behind the cut rate. We rolling bones, you know what I mean? And all the boys from one runaway, we run too late. Alley crap game, right? Says McNulty. Every time, Snot, he sends a few, uh, fade a few shooters, play it out to the pot's deep, snatch and run. Every game, says McNulty. Couldn't help himself. So let me understand, every Friday night, you and your boys would shoot crap, right? Then every Friday night, your pal Snot Boogie, he'd wait until there was cash on the ground, and he'd grab the money and run away. And you let him do that? He goes, we'd catch him We'd catch him and beat his ass, but he didn't know where we were going to go past that. So McNulty, this is what the brilliance of the show is, McNulty goes, i got to ask you, if every night Snot Boogie would grab the money and run away, why'd you even let him in the game? He goes, what? If Snot Boogie always stole the money, why'd you even let him play? Got to. This is America, man. And then it goes into the intro song. It's just like, mm-hmm. fuck, it's brilliant. What's your guys' favorite scene? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with... Uh, hmm. So, okay. I was going to actually do this under... Favorite episode? Um, no, you know what? I'll go favorite scene. Um, essentially, when uh, it, it's a yeah, my I'll go with this right. When Omar gets killed, um, the metaphorically, Ew. metaphorically, it's just nothing grandiose. It's just boom, capped, and then right. moves on. Then life and everything that happens when that world moves on. Um, because you're expecting something fucking big and grandiose you know uh in something cinematic it's just Bar like, yeah, like couldn't a, get him yeah uh, marlo couldn't get him like nobody could get him this fucking kid yeah you're right and it's like okay it's like wow just the bleak reality of being in that kind of environment it, you know it was striking it's true it's a great call mike what do you think favorite scene um favorite scene for me had to be season one episode three titled the buys 
and it is the episode where we get introduced to my favorite character, Omar Little. Um, We see the introduction as he's walking down the street, and he's whistling the farmer in the dell. And (laughs) yeah. I had a nice beat, and then Scott, who's never so, been to a black church, ruined it. <laughs> He's whistling the farmer in the dell. He's walking down with black church, a lot what's a 4-4 magnum in one hand, a shotgun around his shoulder, a bulletproof vest. Everybody's <laughs> running and yelling, like, Omar's coming. And you're just like, who the fuck is this guy? Who you know? the and, fuck is this dude? <laughs> exactly. And he comes in with a bang. Like, he basically sticks up the drug dealers and gets marked for death by Avon Barksdale. And you're like, y'all gonna make me huff and puff. Just so many good lines. And then you get the twisted turn of seeing him with this young baby face, you know, Latino looking man. And he kisses him (laughs) and you're like, what the fuck? So this guy is not only some crazy, like dude that robs drug dealers, but he's also Gay. gay. Yep. And I think that play was brilliant on behalf of the writers because so you don't ever see that portrayed at all in cinema yeah. and shows. Yeah, they, there is a notion that still exists today that, um, for lack of a better term, um, there's a stereotype, not from us on the show, but a stereotype. Week. Okay, yeah. Um, so, and I thought this show sort of, uh, this show, number, number one, did a great job of uh, dispelling that. Um, cause there's no, without him having kissed the, uh, the young fella, I, you know, there's no mannerisms you would have thought, okay, um, this person, this person is gay just because of how Hollywood has stereotypically made them seem, seem. And I think that this was a good precursor to what's the, uh, what's, what's the old show that, what do you call it? Uh, that Regina King was on, on TNT, uh, the cop show. I don't know if that was called the closer or something like that, or, uh, but yeah. it's like her, what's it, it's called the closer closer. Okay, um, so you, I remember that her partner was gay, and it was a similar situation where you would not have suspected it if they didn't do a scene sort of dictating that he was gay, right? There was no uh, gay accent or anything. Um, and so I think that, like, in looking at this, like, that ahead of its time, 2002, right, where you still don't see that today um, in how uh, gay men are perceived. It's always that they have to be well-dressed, well-coiffed, um, their confrontations, like, consists of like getting bent out of shape about something and then no physical violence ever happening. And then I don't, I think, uh, you know, I think you'd be kind of hesitant there. Sorry. Um, not hesitant, right. You may not see a gay person really with a gun or firearm or doing certain things that are seen as uh, masculine, I guess, if you will. Right. And hyper aggressive, um, and sort of Omar doing that. Right. It, I, you know, I, I'd say that it is princess Leia esque. Right. In the sense it that against, it's subverts. It was against character type. Yeah, yeah, against yeah, against trope, you know. Right. Totally. Yeah, I mean uh I don't know if I ever really totally considered all that with it since you guys brought it up. I mean, it's like um yeah, you're totally right. Like the there's a certain trope that you play when you're playing a character, right? Like uh be the Nazi or be the, you know, whatever, evil guy or what and yeah, he totally went against that. Omar, whew, Mike, that's a good call out. That is one of the greatest scenes of the show ever. Just that first intro into Omar. 
Um, awesome. So for, first, uh, first team All Pro casting. Uh, I'll I'll start out here uh, with mine. Uh, one is probably obvious. I think Dominic West as uh, Jimmy McNulty. So this is what I love about his character. It's like in every way they thought this out. Like, just his ethnicity is offensive. Like, he's playing an Irish-American cop, and he's British. So, like, the British shouldn't be playing the Irish... You know, those politics are going on there. Um, what? That was... What? Where is... I mean, I, I'm not privy to that. Um, are uh, British Northern people... I- Oh yeah, man! Ireland, uh, England—they got a whole thing going on there. Dude. Oh, okay. Didn't what, hadn't there been like an Irish guy play James Bond or no? Uh, correct. But it, yeah. that went the other way, and that's fine. Oh wait, okay. So a British guy can't play the Irish person, right? It's like the hegemony okay. versus the marginalized, right? Okay. So Irish American cop. Uh, I think the other thing is that he. Totally. So I don't know if anybody's ever heard Dominic West speak. It is like a very proper, posh British accent is what his normal accent is. Not only does he pull off an American accent disguised as a British accent, but he like he has a pretty convincing Baltimore accent or Baltimore accent as they Baltimore, say. Baltimore, Baltimore, Baltimore. Yeah, like and it's passable. Like it's pretty good. It's not. It's not as good as. The people from Baltimore in the show, which we'll get into, but I drew it with the crown over over. When I went to Baltimore on Monday. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then give me a litter for my cigarette. His own character, he pisses everybody off. Like everybody hates him. He's like racially offensive in ways. He's awful. But then at the same time, he's amazing. And like you're just like, oh, this guy. Uh, the other all pro casting I had is Robert F. Chu. Who uh, played Prop Joe, Proposition Joe? So Al Sharpton look alike. Correct. No, well, bigger, <laughs> bigger Al Sharpton. Uh, 80s like Al Sharpton. Quarantine for three years. <laughs> no, Al late Sharpton. 80s burst on the scene. Al Sharpton, yo. <laughs> so what I love about him, uh, he's a local actor, born and died in Baltimore. This guy lived there his whole life. He was actually a local acting coach. Like he didn't. Even, he was playing like local theater. So when mm. we were talking about how they how they made characters, how how they got the best out of characters, uh, Robert F. Chu is is one of those characters. And I, I also think uh, he 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 almost stole every scene. Like he was fantastic. But his his true accent, like the whole uh, oh you. I got a proposition for you. Like, it's just a very interesting... I can't do it. But his is amazing. Just say uh, Monday. It gave, like, validation to the other accents that were close enough. You know, they had to have a couple characters that were, like, so perfect that it just, like, validated everybody else's. So, I, I just think those two really stood out to me as being perfect casting like how do you even project those to be as amazing as they were you know that's a good point um i'm gonna have to go with michael k williams as omar um and it's not just to follow the hype train on omar based off of everything that i said in the last category follow it dude that's (laughs) a good hype i think he really killed that role and 
like I said earlier, like he was really coming up as an actor, you know, having started out his career as, as a dancer. Um, a lot of people don't know like the storyline behind him, but he's from New York and he went back home and got in a fight with someone at a bar and he got slashed. He got his mm. face slashed with the knife and that's why he has that scar on his face. Mm. But seeing now the type of character that Omar was and the way that he played him, you see him with that scar on his face and it just fit his persona so well because you see this man, you're like, he's been through some shit. Like that scar is basically his badge that displays his grit and what he's been through and the struggle and just the badass that he was. And just throughout the season, I mean, we see him, you know, through his revenge plot for when, you know, Avon Barksdale's crew killed his um, his boyfriend, Brandon, yep. and brutal, brutally killed him, to say that. Um, so he goes on this revenge plot. Obviously, like, he comes after Bird. He comes after Weebay. Um, and he does and, some shit. Like, he goes against his morals for shit. Right. You know what I mean? Well, like, he goes against his morals because then he starts cooperating. So Correct. He doesn't go against starts, his code, though. No. I mean, got to not. have a code. But I think my favorite part from season one as well is, like, he ends up in that courtroom, and he's got the do-rag on, like, he's dressed <laughs> up in his normal clothes, and he just throws a tie on over everything, you know? And just the dialogue with the judge. Um, and just the transitions, man. I mean, even you got the, the last briefcase, season, I got the shotgun, it's all in the game, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and that analogy is spot on, you know? It's just, so spot and, on. <laughs> And as we transition, like, we don't see him drift away from his character. Like, he's still robbing drug dealers. Um, yep. He basically robs Marlo's crew. He gets those Mexican guys to help him out. And they go and rob him at the warehouse. And then even towards the end, when he now sets up another plot to basically create a hit list and take down Stanfield's crew one by one. Dude and... drums three stories to escape, breaks his leg. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. Dude, you're right, though. He goes from, like, vicious to vengeful and that's like a huge that's the whole spectrum of emotion you know what i mean yeah it's like same actions caused by different emotion like that but he just played him so well he did you could see the emotion behind him as he's talking about like when they killed brandon and he still even like recalls that killing through the whole show like seasons later like he'll still mention it yeah you know like that boy was beautiful man that boy was beautiful. <laughs> but Brandon, that boy was beautiful. <laughs> so let's peep this, guys. All right. Somehow, you two asshats, all right, have gotten through about 50 minutes of this without uh, mentioning the creme de la creme. The beautiful. All right. Now I got to say this, point blank. All right. When you got a guy on a show who has quotes like this, all right, this here game is more than the rep you carry. The corner you hold, you got to be fierce. I know that. But more than that, you got to show some flex. Give and take on both sides. Or another quote in reference to the rep as you describe, right? You know, Avon, you got to think about what we got in this game for, man, huh? Was it the rep? Was it so our names could ring out on some fucking ghetto street corners, man? Nah, man. There's games beyond this fucking game. All right, and that, of course, I'm talking about that boy, Russell Stringer Bell, played by the very talented and the breakout star, I might add, Idris motherfucking Elba. Now, look. Idris fucking Elba. I yeah, agree. just another Brit. Another Brit, yeah. Off the Baltimore accent. Oh, straight up, right? Very uh, second scene of the show, I believe, right? It's you got him there. 
Uh, he's at the uh, he's at uh, what do you call it? Uh, Avon's uh, Avon's nephew's uh, case, right? Angelo. Angelo. Yeah. Oh, D'Angelo. Yeah, D'Angelo Barksdale. He's at D'Angelo Barksdale, right? Uh, then he brings in Wee Bay and uh, you know, and Stinkum, another g- great name. Um, Stinkum, Wee Bay, <laughs> love it. You know, and Savino <laughs> and Savino yeah. to cover uh, do the bribery, right? Um, essentially, got that Kangol hat on. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That you see them come in, right? They look at Idris, and then Idris just like fucking call. Like, first of all, he's like drawing the fucking picture with the fuck you cop or yeah. fuck you detective superhero outfit on, uh, and it looks just like Jimmy McNulty too, right? Uh, I don't know if he, I don't know who actually drew that or whatever, but shout out it's to them artist. for uh, yeah, right. Um, so they show that, right? And uh, what do you call it? It's so you so you see that, right? And then uh, essentially, you know, he immediately established the beat that he has with uh, Omar, you know. Uh, I look from the get go, right? Just a very fascinating character, you know. Him and Avon, they have that interplay between, you know, one of them, one of them's a little bit more, um, precursor to a movie that, you know, I'm not gonna reference it just because one of the people on the show loves to fucking sing a song, so I'm not gonna get into, uh, what else he was in that involved King. No, uh, stop, stop, it completely stop, yeah. A precursor to American Gangster, um, but he's essentially in this one, right? He's the uh, buttoned-up one with the suits and everything, right? Where Avon um, essentially has Wood Harris just playing his character from above the rim, um, except with more money. And you know, he, there, there's the interplay between, hey, you know what? Uh, one of us is a little bit more um, polished than the other, right? And wants to come off as professorial with the glasses and the suits and everything, right? And Avon straight from the streets. So enjoy, like, really seeing sort of their interplay, right? And, like, I think that Stringer, just Stringer Bell, right? If you look at it, even Avon Barksdale is sort of the central figure within the show, right? As he's the big bad for the, um, for, you know, for the first season of it, right? Stringer Bell is sort of this, uh, uh, this guy who has, like, sort of the interactions with everybody else, right? He's well-known. He's the guy that's making sure that this thing is staying afloat, right? And he's the one that they can actually touch, right, and see and breathe around, right? And he's aware of them and they're aware of him, right? And there's relationship in some capacity, right? Not saying like prof- like professional or uh, they're dating or anything like that, right? Uh, it's just that there's conversations that have occurred between him, you know, between him and Omar, you know, between him and Jimmy, uh, what do you call it, Jimmy McNulty and all, right? Um, and then him and uh, Avon. And I think that sort of he, like, the heart of the show, I'd, I'd venture to call him. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that, uh, I think there's, I think um, the problem with this show is there are so many different storylines that are so well told. Mm-hmm. That it's almost impossible to pick anyone who who even almost stands out. But I think we all picked characters that are universally like standouts. Like I, I love Roberto? Avon Barksdale. Like I love him. What about Roberto? Roberto The Dominican Avon Oh Julito McCollum? No no Roberto. He's a guy. Uh, what do you call it? He he's a, he was a New York. Uh, he was a New York Syndicate guy. He was their supplier. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Barely in it. He was barely in it. But what I, I mean like is, though, other, there are because so they refer stand-ups. to the other New Yorker, uh, Scar. He's the one no, right. that they uh, they try yeah, to run off the right, block. Right, right, right. Well, you, you know, I love the Dominicans on this show. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, no, I mean, this, this show is it, it's tough to narrow it down to like who. 
who's all pro casting, we're probably going to go into Stone Cold, Stone Cold appearances right now. Well, yeah. Before we get in that, though, because we, yeah. we, I feel like we're doing a bit, really quickly, we're doing a, a bit of a disservice to another character. Like, like look, uh, maybe we should have had like 10 people on here, right? Or, or we were required to name. Yeah, you're right. Um, we didn't mention someone very popular. All right. Avon Barstow? Who, no, no. We mentioned him. No. Someone that has not been mentioned at all except by me. All right. And that's a very powerful figure. Sonia Sun? Nah. All right. When you say when you guys try to say that it was all about Jimmy McNulty, and you try to say it was all about the damn uh, Omar. Wendell all Pierce. I gotta say is she. All right. State Senator Clay Davis Clay brings the heat, right. baby. All right. Just she. can't. Just, he lets it be known. All right. Random fucking profanity comes out. Uh, <laughs> you know. Random profanity comes out. Yeah. All right. Legit. All right. Just across the board, right? You just fucking arrogant about how fucking corrupt he is, right? The guy's going to come at me after I raised all this money for you, got you all elected. Look, my pockets ain't even full. (laughs) (laughs) She. All right. And I love that. Name is Clayton. All right, Clayton. R. Clayton. All right, <laughs> you think I had time to ask him, man, why he giving me money or where he gets his money from? Where I'll take any motherfucking money, money if he giving it away. Some sometimes with the bureaucracy, the one hand don't know what the other is all about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it takes so money good. to make money, strings. Otherwise, hell, every pop will be a king. <laughs> so good. This is yeah, Isaiah Whitlock brought the heat, man. All right. Oh hell yeah. Uh, actually, another movie he's so great in, and, you know, we always have asides here, but I think they're always worth it. Cedar Rapids. Did anybody ever see this movie? Absolutely not. Oh, man, you gotta watch it. (laughs) None of our listeners saw it either. No, they should, though. Hashtag Cedar Rapids. What the fuck Uh, is Cedar Rapids? (laughs) Oh, come on. Cedar Rapids is a great movie. So, he's in it. Uh, basically, it's about... Uh, small town uh, insurance Scott salesman. Sound, you sound like Trump trying to get through a fucking press conference right now. Man. Oh, uh, that's the best yeah, you don't know uh, what the, you, you didn't do your book report. You're just like, all right, let's. Fucking... No, 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 no. <laughs> now I gotta present. So basically, it's a, it's a it's a movie about a small town insurance salesman from Cedar Rapids uh, who goes to the big city. Uh, no, he's not from Cedar Rapids. Sorry, he's from Minnesota. I don't think you watched this movie, Scott. So, I did. Does he does he drop his trademark shit in that he movie? He does. But literally, he also is a nested narrative where he literally he's an insurance salesman and he references, I like this show on HBO called The Wire. Okay. All right. Scott, all right. Scott really only funny. mentioned this movie just to drop that. Like, Pretty much. He was, Great he was, movie. He was it's got Ed in. Helms in it, John C. Riley, Ann Hash, Isaiah Whitlock. It's fucking fantastic. You should watch this movie. It's it's great. Yeah, he was in this one movie that was lying called uh, that was lying in the title. It's called Beautiful Ohio. You are beautiful <laughs> like every single day. Oh, um, real quick though, I do want to give a shout out to. The one and only Wood Harris, um, for his yeah. portrayal as Avon Barksdale. Oldest on the show, dude. Wood Harris is—he's fucking underrated, bro. Like, and old, underrated. <laughs> his old, but dirt. he ages well. Like the fucking guy played 
a high school football player and at I remember 50. the Titans at 30 Strong years old. Strong side. <laughs> Left side. Strong I mean, side. Like, left side. Strong side. I think they get the picture. <laughs> Maybe. One more Yeah, time. he was a uh, – yeah. Uh, no, he look, played, he, played, movie as well. he played that character so well. And just, like, the way he was plotting, like, I just, the storyline, you know, with him, and Idris, with him and Idris Elba coming up as, as essentially partners, no? like, we see the distinction yeah, between is. both of them. Yeah. Like, you see Avon is more of, like, the gangster, and Idris is more of, like, the, the Corleone type, like, let me take this into now a legitimate business. And even just from McNulty following, he was trying to become Stringer. the hand to the king, you know. Right. But I'm saying like, we saw a different type of criminal. Like there was a scene where like McNulty follows into the school ground, and he's like, "What the fuck?" And he's thinking he's gonna uncover some plot. And Stringer is sitting in a classroom taking a business class, and not only is he just sitting there taking notes, he's participating. Like the from that one scene, we see that he's not just a student but a standout mm-hmm. student because he's participating, he's answering questions, he's fully committed Correct. in this transition to become a, a But he a don't business have any man. bodies on him. Right, but I mean, like, we see the comparison, you know, because in the rap game, we see a lot of, you know, former drug dealers turn rappers, turn successful businessmen, um, and I'll go on and quote Jay-Z to say, I'm not just a businessman, I'm a businessman. And that's essentially <laughs> what Stringer is portraying in the scene and throughout the later seasons he's turning into a businessman from a prior drug dealer gangster and i think Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of this show and just the distinction between the different characters and the way that they got lured by capitalism man Man, mike you barely said anything good about wood harris (laughs) all right um, well, <laughs> my dog's just gonna say, "All right, let's, just go, let's just go ahead and switch and talk about Stringer, how great he is." <laughs> no, look, Wood Harris. Um, no, I, you know, I got to say, right. First of all, he plays the perfect dick and the perfect villain. All right, you just look at his face. You're like, all right, this guy's not a good guy. Nah, right, he's a handsome man. Okay, all right, Scott. I think he's he taken. So I don't think like you have a, a shot. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, and that's not racist. I think you could have just said the comment without mentioning the racist part. Um, <laughs> the one with, yeah. Oh, um, man. Look, I'll, like I'll say this. He's a neck and then like a forward face. He has neck. a neck. <laughs> but I mean, like, uh, what's what's his name? Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy also totally looks like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Like, we only got to find two more. We have the four. <laughs> so they're, they're, what, their forehead slopes? Yeah, basically. All right, nice, yeah. Uh, like Danny Ferry uh, has that. No, uh, look, Wood Harris. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. We got one. No, more. Wood Harris, uh, fantastic actor. Um, I know I said Idris Elba is probably the most talented actor on the show. Um, Wood Harris got some chops, so you know, uh, like he, you know, obviously Mike said that when he was forty, he played in uh, a high schooler in Remember the Titans, and then when he was what thirty-five, he played a uh, vagabond nineteen-year-old uh, and above the rim uh, who was still trying to hang out with high schoolers and such, and then. I feel like I don't know why that guy's career, uh, like, I don't understand why his career hasn't sort of taken off. He peaked late. Yeah, very late. Uh, but it's like, yeah, it, it's it, like you see him, in, like, he gets work, right? Because he's in Creed playing uh, yeah. Little Duke or whatever, right? And Creed 2. And then oh, he was also right. in, 
Like he gets like good roles, or sorry, he's in good projects like Blade Runner and everything. Um, but like when you compare him to he the other two Blade prominent, Runner. yeah, right. Um, he's in the new edition story, or whatever. Yeah, he's in, all right. Yeah, and he's then he in the he new also edition biopic played a very good role in there as a, as their uh, first manager. Uh huh. He just plays. Man- hey, he wasn't. Was he in Empire also? Like the last, uh, like I think two seasons ago or something. Um. I okay, don't know, man. Yeah. I, I only stuck with the Empire for like the first couple seasons, and then I just okay. I haven't had time didn't... to watch any other shows except for the ones that we do. There we go. But yeah, <laughs> all right, so no, he, he yeah. was he he was in it. He was on a uh, seasons five and six. Okay. All right. Yeah. We no, yeah. Do and then Empire though. All right. We will. When it ends. Yes, certainly. Um. Yeah. It's like I don't. Yeah. So I don't, I, it's like weird to think that the other two prominent or the other three prominent black guys they're more well known than him. Um, despite him having been, because he was, you can make the case he was he was more popular before this show came, uh, came out, you know, and then this just allowed him to sort of be in things and be. I, don't, I hate to hesitate to say meander around or whatever, uh, but essentially it's just like he's picking up roles, but there's no Oscars or oh hey I know this guy right. It's always just like, hey wouldn't that wouldn't that uh the, wouldn't that the one angry black guy from Remember the Titans you know. He wasn't angry. Well, but I mean, like you're forgetting also one of his bigger roles, like Peyton Next day, no, Next day. Full, <laughs> I know Scott was watching that on repeat. Come on, man. Kamari <laughs> like Hardwick and fucking that girl. He's like hell yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. I, I did forget about Peyton Pool. Yeah, he also so narrated they... uh, Benji on uh, the ESPN Thirty for Thirty. Nice. Yeah, his brother look really looks like a turtle though. I mean, Scott, Google him. Yeah, I mean, I looked at him already. You looked at his brother? No, but I mean, if, like, if his brother has more turtle characteristics than him, <laughs> then of course he looks yeah. just like a turtle. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, uh, no. Also, right. really quick, like, really quickly. Hold on. Let me let me go yeah. one more thing about Wood Harris though. Um, okay. and to take the the turtle family. Um, both of them master's degrees. They have bachelors in. Both of them have bachelors in. Um. Theater, and then they both got like master's degree. One from NYU, the other one from uh, I want to say Dart- Dartmouth or something like that. These like uh, academically uh, earned or just like uh, social progress awards. Okay, that's the part that's racist. <laughs> uh, the uh, I, I, yeah, I believe both of these I are know, theatrical. <laughs> I think both of these are the theat theatrical master degrees. MFAs. Yes. Yes. I know yeah. all about this. Yeah, has there ever I hire a lot of people with MFAs, like such as, um, not these two. So, so <laughs> all right, okay, we'll let you as, continue. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, as, as, as I was gonna say, as people on Instagram say, that's a weird flex, but okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, man, I didn't have any because it's. I don't, I don't, well, it's like because there, most of the people didn't just drop in for a, a short time. They were sort of always there. Um, it makes I'll go it with hard. this. Yeah, I will go with this. And you guys may not know what's cracking. This is not technically a Stone Cold appearance, but I don't have any other category for this person. But the very, 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 very hugely and tremendously and bigly uh, talented. You guys already know what's good. Uh, Pablo Schreiber. So if you don't, oh, fuck. All right. So if y'all don't know who he is, uh, he's one of the longshoresmen. Yeah. Um. I and I want to say he was actually relatively. He he's probably relatively young. He might have been about twenty five or so when this uh sort of 
what do you call it when he first uh, when he started doing this or so but essentially he played uh he played uh, sabaka nick sabaka um yeah. Uh, yeah. during the uh, d- during the doc seasons um i think number one because we're gonna get into another Zaba- uh, sabaka uh, which i really want to get into or so um this guy was you know he had a little bit of a he had a little bit Go of bad boyness to him yeah, I would say even aside from bad boy, it's just a lot of smarts. You know, like he, mm-hmm. for being a young person portrayed on the show, like he really took on a definitive role, you know, to kind of become the heir to his uncle, mm-hmm. Frank Sabaka. Sure. Yeah. You know, so aside from being like pretty badass, you know, the way he moved was different because he always had a method to what he was trying to do, not like the other Sabaka that you're mm-hmm. going to talk about. Oh yeah, the damn people, right I am. The people he had to work with were fucking way wilder and crazier and younger, you know. But he worked with them in the same way. Yeah, um, yeah, and uh, also, uh, Pablo Schreiber, his brother, is the great um, Lieb or Lieb or Lieb Schreiber. Lieb Schreiber, a great yeah. narrator, one of the greatest um, no. narrators of all time. I agree. Yeah, big time. Yeah, um, so yeah, huge fan of Pablo Schreiber, and I thought that sort of, uh, he carried what, you know, is, you know, like, that, that, like, coming into that season, you're like, what the fuck? You're like, yuck, (laughs) barf, and then, um, he comes up, right? hot, though. Uh, Amy? Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's, uh, they made it watchable. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Mike, who did you have? Um, I had... Andre Royo, who plays I mean, I think Bubbles. You, right. That kind of fits in the same way that Chris's does. He's not like one appearance. He's a pretty recurring character. Right. Yeah, I know. It's just like they could have done without some of these uh, some of these characters. Like some of these characters that were around for recurring uh, aspects. And the wire not could have Andre had... Royo, though. Yeah, okay. Well, thought, yeah, I know. Well, Bubbles being a recurring character but someone that we don't see too often. I think he he had a lot of impact within the show. Like, So he plays like yeah. this heroin Let's amend the, really quick. Let's just amend the topic. And anyone who's not a full-on main character and they're sort of, even if they're tertiary for a few seasons and they come in, they just kill it, that could be Stone Cold appearance too, right? Since Stone Cold right. technically interfered in a lot of matches. <laughs> so, right. uh, and was a match he took part. over. Hit yeah. somebody with the chair and really just made an impact. Yeah. And so that's yeah. essentially so, what we're doing with some of these characters that we're naming off. It's like who came in, had a short appearance, made an impact, made you think, damn. Yeah. And so going back to my point, Bubbles, heroin addict, homeless man, doesn't come in a lot of episodes, but when he is on there, he has a big impact. Uh, from the moment we're introduced to him, um, we see him out there with the shopping cart. And, you know, we see him with his uh, sidekick, the little white boy. Um, Johnny Weeks. Johnny Weeks, exactly. And so, you know, we obviously see him as he's trying to teach him, you know, how to uh, do the little trick with the money um, to make it seem like he's got more so he can score a bigger bag of heroin. And he says he's ready to try it. He gets caught. Or the first time he pulls it off on uh, Michael B. Jordan's character, Wallace, and then the second time he tries to pull it again, then they f- figure it out. They beat the shit out of him, send him to hospital, basically like almost kill him. And um, it's a colossal bag. 
<laughs> he starts working with the police, you know? And we see, like, obviously, like, his, uh, his way of uncovering who the big players are while he's going out there just, you know, putting the hats on people, pre- pretending that he's... Put the hat on Bird. Selling. Yep. The red hat. And so that's just one example of him really coming in and just taking over as a character that we just barely got introduced and then obviously we won't see him for many episodes and then he'll come right back again uh we see the impact that he had when uh they introduced little amsterdam um and i believe that was season three and um he's got a new guy coming along with them um and you know he's doing the same thing he's selling you know hardware goods on the street and so every single time he's introduced you know we see the impact that he has on there and i was really happy to see towards the end when he sort of cleans up and now becomes more of like a distinguished like clean man and i think as the seasons progressed we got to really get to know more about his background like the relationship he had with his sister and just who he was before he became a heroin addict and then a homeless man basically living on the streets and fending for himself and so um shout out to bubbles man Nice. Bubbles was amazing, um, and it kind of talks about uh, there's two characters from Bubbles that I would say were stone cold appearances for me. One was Johnny Weeks, which we talked about. So Johnny Weeks, uh, to me, this represents kind of like the like I don't know, maybe this sounds weird. It's white guilt, or it's like the charity of the black community, like. Bubbles never cared that he was white. Like, it was just, uh, he was just someone that he identified with, had a good time with. It was bad. But, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull a left turn here. I think Stole Cold Appearance, and maybe this actually fits the category the best, is, uh, the character who was the Narcotics, uh, Anonymous leader waylon played by uh, mm. steve, steve earl mm-hmm. so he was only in maybe like four or five scenes but he he totally in the first episode where he told his story in the in na meeting and bubbles came up and he goes i'm gonna i'm gonna get my sober chip like he he totally just gave his story right uh, I, I I love how he described it. I think the quote something like, you know, I'm sitting here and I sold my last dime and I so I my wife hates me and my kid won't see me, and you know what I told myself? I'm doing good. <laughs> like nice. Just that whole scene. He he's just very charismatic, very incredible, and he was actually a social worker. Like this is another example of just like perfect casting maybe he should have been in all pro casting but i think he just totally took over some of the scenes that he was in um and to me yeah that was stone cold appearance uh okay so best episode next category it's so impossible but uh, i got it but what do you guys got? Oh, you got it. You you yeah, literally have right. the best episode. All yeah, right. of course. Sure. I, you damn right I got the best episode, all right? <laughs> Look, let's keep it 100. We didn't go to season three when things finally start to get on track after that damn long shoresman shit. All right. <clears throat> we got to go to middle ground. 
Such a sad day. Look, there's a hole in America after this happened, but Stringer gets killed. You know, just people were crying. The ladies were not happy. Um, also, well-written episode. Uh, another thing, besides the part where he gets killed, right, sort of expecting, he goes out like a G. He goes, look, do it, motherfuckers, or something like that, right? Um, what do you call it? There's an earlier scene where uh, Avon Hold on, and... hold on. He tries to pay for them to not kill them before that, though. Okay, yeah, but still, yeah, no, I said he went out like a G, there. not like at halftime he was a bitch, all right? He can go out like a G at uh, towards the end of the game. Yeah, he was losing 45 to nothing, and then he goes, all right, do it, motherfucker. Okay. <laughs> well, it's like the dude in a boxing match who like okay, right. is getting completely outboxed for Both 11 rounds, assholes. and then the 12th round, he just comes out swinging for the fences trying to get that knockout. Okay, Nevertheless, gentlemen, um, he takes like a G. Um, and also earlier, there's a great scene where they talk about uh, that really highlights the difference between the two, right? Now, one of the things they talk about is that, uh, uh, what do you call it? How he took a, I think it was a tennis racket or something like that, that he, uh, that they were, uh, that one of them had stolen when they were younger, um, despite the fact that they'd have no use for it because they were, I think it was a badminton racket or something like that. Um, despite the yep. sense, f- fact that there yep. was no Batman. use for it because they hadn't have a yard, right? And I think that speaks to the tenacity. When you need something, when you're going to go get it, you're going to go do it. You are going to take it, right? That is the heart of a hustler. And also, this episode was written by a, jo- a, a one George uh, Pelascanos, who had said that this is the this episode was the culmination of his life's work. And that he wouldn't take anybody questioning whether this is the best thing written. So there you go. I mean, I just want to say that him getting killed was kind of him just setting himself up. Like, that season really painted him in a different way. Like, from him setting up D'Angelo to get killed when he's in jail. And then trying to wash his hands of it and tell, look at Avon in his face and say, like, oh, shit, yeah, like, this is crazy. Your nephew got killed. Even though he was the one that plotted behind it. And then he basically tells Avon later why he did it. Ultimate I, snake. <laughs> yeah. And then on top of that, he's smashing D'Angelo's baby's mom while exactly. he's in jail. The worst. And then on top of that, he tries to set up not only Brother Muzel to kill Omar after Avon sends for him to come down and for them to contract him, but when that shit doesn't go down and Omar turns the tables and shoots him, Omar comes back and talks to Brother Muzel and says, hey, this is actually what happened. You've been set up. We need to team up together. Exactly. You know, so we kind of see, like like Scott said, like the real snake behind Stringer Bell's character. And so I think as much as you want to say that a lot of women were sad that he died, I think a lot of guys, including myself, were like, good, you deserve that shit. Look, yeah. Some people are just haters, all right? My <laughs> favorite, one, so. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> My favorite episode was the finale of season three, mm-hmm. episode twelve, mission accomplished. And this is to me. Isn't this the same year that you voted for Bush when he said uh, mission accomplished? No, false. <laughs> they Talk did not. It. They did not. They Talk did not it. send this episode from the end of an aircraft carrier when nothing was actually accomplished. When Scott was cheering, he was like, oh, good, this guy's second term. This guy's great. He's like Lex Luger. So, uh, no, here's what I love about this episode. 
the title. Uh, they didn't give you this cheesy-ass fucking cliffhanger. Please watch next season. <laughs> Literally, they, like, closed out almost every storyline that existed. So, like, there's always, there's there's some sort of revolution, uh, resolution. McNulty and Stringer, when he tells Bunk, I fucking, I had him. I had him on the wire. Uh, Stringer and Avon, Avon and Muson, Muson and Omar, Carcetti and Bunny Colvin with Hamsterdam, which we talked about. Avon and the police when they charge him and arrest him, and Herc actually gets his fucking due. Don't McNulty, forget Mario. Exactly, McNulty and uh, uh, Rawls and Mario. McNulty, which I said I didn't say. Rawls and McNulty, McNulty and Beatty. You know, he comes over to her, and she's like, Mm -hmm. nope. So it was, like, literally the most satisfying, like, well-coordinated. They had all these storylines going for three years. It wasn't, like, Lost, where they were like, oh, I don't know. How the fuck do we keep people interested? It was like, we're going to close these out, and people are going to trust that this show is so good that they're going to want to see what happens next season. It was fucking amazing. It was basically, like... The only thing I can relate it to was Avengers Infinity War, where there was like eight years of movies that they all like wrapped into one story. It was fucking mm. incredible. Mmm. Ooh, nice. I like that. That's a that's a pretty solid comparison. Um, no, I that, that was a good episode. I mean, I know it came, you know, it was um, it came out just like two weeks after the uh, George W. Bush on the aircraft carrier and all. Um, but like, no, just kidding. It, it, it didn't. It, there, the thing is, this is December 2004 when this occurred. Um, no, I think yeah, that dude, was... This is 10 years before that. He fucking stole that shit from this. Mission no, accomplished. <laughs> Uh, I, one of the things, like I think, one of the, one good thing is like it. The, this episode uh, sort of talked about the uh, what happened since Scott just has decided he'd one up me by choosing the next fucking episode. Um, <laughs> Jimmy uh, McNulty sort of talking about uh, how upset he is that he couldn't bring down um, uh, Stringer, but he's happy that there's a chance for Avon, um, which was like a poignant part and. Uh, you get sure. to see sort of the inner working of a cop's mind uh, with this, right? How it's like, hey, there's that yin and yang. You're the Batman to someone's, or you're the Joker to someone's Batman, there's and vice versa. There's always another black guy to get. <laughs> yeah, he's like, all right. he goes, damn it. He goes, I thought I was going to have to move to Atlanta. <laughs> Baltimore might be all, almost might be out of black guys. Uh, yeah, and so I, I, I appreciated that one. And then you even got the thing with uh, Cuddy where he's talking about, like, all my boxes are, are getting ready to leave so that they can go, uh, so they can go deal. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I had season five, episode eight, titled mm. Clarifications. Um, that's the episode where my boy Omar gets killed by Canard, man. Um, basically, it, it continues from the previous episode where, uh, as Scott mentioned earlier, uh, Omar jumps off the uh, third story win- uh, b- building mm. window and uh, breaks his leg. He basically escapes as they're trying to kill him. Um, he runs into Mike, and um, he gets away, and basically Mike goes and tells Part- Chris Partlow and Snoop that, you know, he saw Omar, so they're trying to look for him, and Omar walks into this liquor store, and, you know, he's uh, talking to the cashier, and then we just hear the gunshot, and as Omar slumps over, then we see Kennard, the little kid with the gun in his hand, and, and I think that just caught everyone by surprise because I don't think anyone expected that to happen. You know, essentially, like, we see Omar slip out and, like, get away. And you think, like, oh, shit, like, 
he's gone. Cool. He's going to continue his plot to kill, you know, um, kill, uh, this, you know, this, these other guys that are on his list and then boom, he gets killed by one kid. Omar. But outs- <laughs> outside of that, um, you know, there are a lot of things that were revealed in the, in the episode as well. Um, you know, they're trying to basically crack the code on Marlowe and his organization. And um, they've been tapping the phones, but they don't understand what the coded messages are that are coming through the phones. And basically, they end up discovering that the numbers that they're texting all coordinate with the numbers on the map. And so they start to infiltrate now how they're coordinating their meetings, where they're going to be meeting up at. And then they come up with the idea that when they send the text, the meeting will take place in one hour. uh... And so we kind of start to see... Exactly, because as hard as it was for them to, you know, come down on the Barksdale crew and essentially arrest Avon, you know, they couldn't get Stringer Bell, but they had more on them than what they had on Marlo. It was like Marlo was more discreet and more organized in the way that he was, you know, maintaining his organization as compared to the Barksdale crew. And so that, that you know breaking the case and them being able to now um, infiltrate, you know, where they're going to be having their meetings and start to uncover more like that created more of a storyline now for them to take him down. And then we see obviously some of the other um, storylines taking place with like Carcetti now as mayor and like the beef he's having um, with like his political career and like some of the corruption and everything else. So I, th- I think just overall great episode. And I think um, it was just, sad because we had to say goodbye to uh probably one of the better characters on the series (laughs) omar can i just throw a plot twist real quick though yeah Um, throw it favorite season to add on top of this real quick real quick real quick favorite season after we describe them what do you guys think let's go with i'm gonna go with uh i'll go with uh season three why? Uh, number one, you had the best episode of the series. And then I guess the next episode was okay, according to some people. Um, <laughs> I think that you, well, number one, it's like that that like that season was like a turning point. First of all, season two was just oh, the pure drogeny of it, right? Season three was a, re, a nice rebound season. There's none of the jitters, um, and then uh, you start to lose you start to lose like a lot of the fa- the a lot of the uh, favorites, right? Uh, you know, D'Angelo is obviously gone, uh, by, you know, by season two, but season three is just like, Hey, you're just like, bam, you're getting, a, you're getting a ton of stringer. Uh, you're getting enough of, you're getting enough of Avon and that sort of the initial bane of the existence, uh, is put away. Then also let's keep it 100. That's when your boy, the wonderful, the wonderful mayor, uh, uh finally appears. Kirkady. Kirkady. Yeah. All right. Well, I I, th- I know he was sort of rather he was in it actually, but he became more prominent and not just like hey the city council. Yeah, wasn't Yeah. Right. He, be, he wins the may- mayoral. Uh, what do you call it? Mayoral is or mayoral ship or whatever. Mayoral election. Okay. Yeah. He wins the mayoral. Uh, Which is seat. during the gubernatorial, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So you start you start to see that, and then also you get a little bit more of your boy. Uh. What do you call it? Uh. Howard. Uh. You know, Bunny as well. So. Bunny. Which Cole. is great. Yeah, and I know Mike, you like him because he was in what's it called, uh, Ballers. So, 
How did you know? I like I like Bunny just because of his uh his portrayal of the show, man. He, he created yes. he created Damn, a little yeah. Amsterdam, bro, mm-hmm. and he took the fall for it. Um, but real quick before Scott, sorry, don't want to interrupt you, but quick shout out to Aiden Gillen who plays Tommy Carcetti. Um, I don't think we really talked about him earlier, but um, to oh, add now, he's ruined about. things for people. <laughs> nah, but like. To add to Why would you threaten a man DK. without throwing him out of a tr- <laughs> out of a plane? <laughs> to to add to the list of UK actors that made an impact on this show, um, Aiden Gillen is Irish, but completely right. killed that role of Tommy Carcetti. Um, and he's just he kills his roles always. I mean, his, yeah, his little finger, that? like everything that he what? does, he's fantastic. So wasn't he the unlikable guy in uh? Only the villain in the the Maze Runner movies. On the one way. of them, like the yeah, wasn't he? One. Or yeah, wasn't he a villain in the? Yeah, he's a villain in the. Uh, I think the last two Maze Runner movies. Littlefinger in Game of Thrones. Oh yeah. Uh, the CIA agent in uh, Batman Three, the Nolan one. He played Adorama Gold in um. And what's it called? Uh, Peaky Blinders. Oh yeah. yes, Peaky. Yeah, he was also in uh, he played uh, he played the manager in uh, what do you call it? Uh, Queen's uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aiden yeah. Gillen. Huh? He is a How good actor. That's play? a good call out. Yeah, they should uh, have him in the Elton John. Gotta give him the flowers, so. Uh, so, my favorite season, and Chris, you just, you just shit on it, but I actually think it is. So, here's the thing. I'm the greatest Wire, wire supporter ever, and so the worst season definitely is season two. Because I love it so much, I'm going to say it's actually the best season. Oh, gee, I wonder why. (laughs) Who are the main characters in that? No. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, but I love... See, here's what I love. It's the docs. He he said he loves it. The shade shade change. Yeah, you go, oh, no. Less of a tan. just about the whole uh, thing, but they keep that going. And then what I love, though, is about... the whole season is about the decline of the American working class. And it wasn't just the white class, but it's a, it's, it's the manufacturing working class. And uh, Frank Sabatka summarizes the entire season perfectly when he says, before he gets killed, you know, we used to make shit in this country. And now everybody's just looking to put their hand in someone else's pocket. And I think that's pretty true of where we're at in America right now. It's that's a good point. Shitty. And also, like Zach Delarocca says, the only thing they close in quicker than our caskets be the factories. So Frank Sabatka, Zach Delarocca, friends of the working class. All right, Mike, what do you think? Shout out to Rage Against the Machine, by the way. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> um, no, I was just gonna say that season two, it kind of started off different like we didn't know where it was going you know what i mean like yeah you have carcetti basically being blackballed because of you know the way that he took on the barksdale case and then he's now he's been outcasted to the shipyards and he's on a boat and he finds this dead girl and everyone's just saying you know let it go like we don't know who this girl is and you know it's, it's a cold case mcnulty keeps... i think you said carcetti earlier Oh, my bad. Yeah, no. McNulty. Sorry. Oh, yeah, I thought no, you said McNulty. Right. No, I said Carcetti. I said Carcetti. Okay. I fucked up. 
Um, yeah, no, you're right. McNulty. You. So everybody's telling him to drop it. He keeps being persistent, and then the case starts unraveling. So I think my problem with season two was that it started off a little slow, and yep. then midway through the season it took off. And I, I think the reason why a lot of people shit on it is they introduce these new characters, you know, the Sabakas, a new scenario where, like, prior to that you had, you know, the drug dealers, the projects, and then now you have the union and the working class. And so it's kind of like where they're going with this is like a 180. And then they start to tie everything in together. And so I think that's the reason why I don't want to say that this was the worst season. I put it in the middle ground more mm. as like a precursor to the setup for now, season three. Hell which, yeah. in my opinion, is second best. Um, I'm going to have to say that season one is the best one. And All that's right. just because of the introduction to the storyline and i think just the way that they started off with the bang and really introduced this more as like a crime drama as opposed to like just some other show totally season three was the best though like yeah chris just said it first so we all we all well, <laughs> <laughs> <That was> different. <laughs> season three is so fucking good like <laughs> yeah uh, worst season though, I mean, obviously some of you guys think season two. Um, can I go out on a limb though and say that season four was probably the worst one? Yeah, I don't think we talked about that at all. School right. kids. I mean, no, but the it was kids. a transitional season, you know. Yeah, no, yeah, no way. Which again, they started kids. off with the transition of like introducing these kids, and it's like, no where the fuck them. are they going with this? And then I don't really think anything was really uncovered in there, like. At least season two, you had a storyline that eventually developed and it became a thing. Season four, it was just kind of like, mm. we get introduced to these kids. We get introduced to Marlo and he's, you know, starting to infiltrate, like trying to recruit Marlo. Ew. Uh, yeah. All right. This is a season good transition into uh, our favorite character here. Um, so who, who, all right. I know it's so hard. I mean, we're going through seasons, best seasons, worst seasons. The thing with the worst season is, there's no worst season. The worst season of this show is better than the best season of the other shows that we've ever done. <laughs> okay, so we shouldn't cover anything else, huh? No, I mean, basically. That's it. That's it. No, yeah, right. if you're listening to this show and you've never seen The Wire, whatever your favorite TV show is, the worst season of The Wire is better than that. That's just the truth. Cold hard truths. No, no alternative facts. That's a hundred percent real facts. Hashtag facts. So, favorite character though, and I think this is important because when you have so many incredible characters in something, like uh, being able to to distinguish some person, maybe that you identified with, maybe that you just that just stood out, maybe because you didn't identify with him. Um, who's your favorite character, Mike? Who's your favorite character? Um, so I had one in mind, and then you said someone you identify with, and so that added. Well, a you can still go. I don't know why that so, identify part was added. No. We never used that. On, like, I'm gonna have to go with Bodie. Mm. And we didn't what talk you, like, about that. Different Bodie, different different spelling, different color. <laughs> different spe- this guy. Similar hair, um, maybe. So we didn't talk about Bodhi at all, and I think, (laughs) what'd you say? I said there's a reason. (laughs) Nah, nah, don't hate on Bodhi, bro. Bodhi was one of those characters that we saw consistently throughout the entire series, 
and I didn't think that he made enough of an impact to. He had that good right him. hook. In season one. <laughs> like I, I didn't think he made enough of an impact to be like a stone cold appearance, but I related to him more just because of like who he was. Like we saw him get introduced, and you know he's in the yard with D'Angelo. He's this young guy, and then he, throughout the the series, he starts to move up in the ranks and essentially basically gets his own corner, and you know he's a hustler comes from a trouble background yeah you had that just, one body he was tough i mean he was basically responsible for killing michael b jordan's character yep. wallace you know poot was the one that pulled the trigger and delivered the kill shot but i mean he was the instigator behind it he was the instigator behind a lot of things really that happened uh throughout the series but just the way he went down bro like when they killed him you know because he was so sad you know mcnulty was basically trying to work with them yeah trying to run away and get away you know refused to leave the corner he was like nah i'm still gonna stay out here and hustle and you know got taken down and so i I think i don't know i mean i just i i liked i liked him i liked his character and you know i was pretty bummed when they killed him uh the other one that i have to give a shout out to was uh duquan aka dookie and um I mean, again, he didn't really have much of an impact. I think I just, he was my favorite character because I felt sorry for him, you know. They portrayed him as this really poor kid, came from a really poor background. He seemed like a really good kid, got punk, people were trying to beat him up. And I just felt like he represents, you know, a lot of the kids that get bullied and that really don't get a chance to succeed. Um, One, because of the background that they come from. And two, because of essentially a school system failing them, you know. We saw in season four where... You know, he did have a knack for computers and, you know, the officer, what was his name? Uh, I can never say his name. Uh, turned teacher, you know, he sees that and he allows him to stay afterwards and play with the computers. But then once he leaves the school, you know, him now starting to try to find work and he's too young and he starts hanging out with the guys from uh, the stage coaches. And then the last episode where we see him shooting up the heroin and essentially becoming the new Bubbles you know, exactly, it, it kind of broke my heart, man. From, of all time. from a viewer's perspective, it really broke my heart. I was just like, oh, fuck, man. Like, I really feel for this kid. And so, um, yeah. Like, I, all right. I Chris, say, man, who do you think? Uh, we're going to go with Wallace. Where Wallace at? He's portrayed by Julius Q. Irving, a.k.a. Michael B. Jordan. Um, look. To, it was shocking to have a young kid uh, involved in the trap. All right, this kid, this guy was like out there like Little Wayne and everything, you know, just chilling. Look, uh, Little like Wayne six- had money. He didn't. Okay, all right. Well, okay. So he's a 16 year old. You know, <laughs> he, he lives over. You know, he works with Poot and Bodie, and uh, they work under D'Angelo. All right. So both uh, of your favorite characters come from the season that you both thought was trash. Wait, he's in season. What do you mean? He's from uh. He's well, I know, but one. most of their stories both come from season four. What? No, he, what do you call it? Uh, what's what it called? Dies. About? Uh, Wallace dies early. Oh, Wallace dies yeah, Wallace... early. Okay, go on. Go on. What's he talking on. about? My man. mistake. My mistake. My yeah. Mistake. Damn, son. All right. Uh, nevertheless. Uh, yeah. So the what do you call it? Yeah. You know, he's he's just you know he uh you know he can look you know he knows money and stuff like that, right? You know, or he can see money and knows what it means, but he can't count apparently. Um, and <laughs> I think that you know he dimes out, Brandon. Yeah. He does. Which makes You're Mike right. hate him. 
right? And then uh, what you know, he gets he gets like a small bounty or what a uh, small piece of the bounty and yada yada. De- tells D'Angelo, I want, yeah, I want out, sir, with his little fat, uh, his little chubby face, uh, which is doesn't fit his body. Um, and then you know he's like hanging around with his little granny and stuff like that, and then decides to get himself back in the game, and then he gets killed. Look, he was endearing because he was representative of what so many young bucks uh you know when they're in the inner city neighborhood they want to fit in uh you know they're they're sort of wayward and lost right and uh they're trying to find a way to make a name for themselves but they're not necessarily tough and i think that michael b jordan himself can probably identify with this you know he's kind of a soft guy you know that works out a lot and the ladies like him and everything but i'm pretty sure i can kick his ass um you know (laughs) just I don't know. You know, he plays. He's he was, he was training for not Keen, a, not he's, uh, not from. He's got a good right hook. Exactly. I was gonna say that boy's not, about. not from not not from when he's uh, eating that plant. You know that makes him powerful. Look, he's five foot ten. Uh, number one, he's My five height, foot. Like, he, now, now he has a lot. Of, he has a lot of Actually, pudge on I the might jaw. Be taller than him. Okay, he has a lot of pudge on the jaw. I'll give him that and everything, right? But there's a reason he plays the fake tough guy characters. You know, the the wannabes. They'll be trying to be more profound than they are. Nevertheless, um, this was our first foray into Michael B. Jordan as well, a.k.a. Julius Q. Irving. Um, with Wallace, I think that you get a lot of uh, – I don't I don't know that how common it was to see sort of a guy in the, in the trap, like at that young age, you know. And, like, right. even though he's 16, um, on the sh- like, he looks younger. You know, maybe that's because Good of his kid, lack of height. Tall, lots of potential, just getting sucked in, you know. Scott's commented on so many good-looking uh, these some of these guys being good-looking yeah, during the show. It's Hollywood, man. What's yeah, Scott's just this? sitting there watching, like, oh hell yeah, he's putting it on his Pinterest, like, hey, good-looking guys on the wire. Um, <laughs> I mean, most of them are. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he's like, he like, he was like rolling out, he was like trying to trample over us to let us know that Wood Harris was handsome, yo. <laughs> uh, what do you call it? He's calling the Ninja Turtle. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. you're trying to tell me Aiden Gillen is not a good-looking dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you call it? No, uh, the, uh, actually, Michael B. I feel like Michael B. Jordan and Aiden Gillen are sort of same class of tough. Um, okay. Nevertheless, oh, nevertheless, uh, no, I, I just thought his character right, like the whole arc or whatever, right? It's like, hey. You, he tries to get out, and he's out, right? And then he has, like, a pretty awful uh, detail that's supposed to be looking after him, you know? Um, and that doesn't go too well. He comes back, and then he dies. Well, you he know? comes back because he was bored of being in the yeah. country. Like, yeah. You know, he, he cooperates a little bit with the cops, you know, because of his guilt after seeing the body of Brandon over the car, mm-hmm. you know? And that's where we see, like, he's not. He's not what he's portraying himself to be. You know, he's not this street kid. He's got a conscience. But he's doing this, I think, for the wrong reasons, trying to look after all his siblings. Because we get introduced to that a little bit when he's staying with him at the house and he wakes up early. He's waking up all his little his little mm-hmm. brothers and sisters. He take he's the dad like, character, man. Yeah, exactly. Wait, uh, D'Angelo, you're saying? Or who? No, no, I'm talking about, Wallace. no, I'm talking about Wallace. You said he's a dad character? What, to the other kids? Yeah. No, well, to his siblings, oh. bro. Like we. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Wake up. Get to school. Go on. He wants everybody to have a better life mm-hmm. than he has. You know. Okay. Yeah. No, I I see D'Angelo D'Angelo as a father figure to a one Wallace. He's very lenient with him and letting him out of the game. Correct. You know? And then uh, this is what sort of what do you call it? And this no, is he identifies what, uh, with him more as a brother, not as a father. 
Okay. Right. It's a, it's, okay, it well, says, like, it, as an older home, he has his older brother. Correct. And I think it's because he probably sees a lot of the same characteristics in Wallace that he sees in himself. It's an Obi-Wan know? and Anakin type thing. Correct. Right. Where like Michael B. Jordan's those, whiny and soft like Anakin. get faded, you know? Yeah. All right, yeah. So I went with Wallace. So uh, R.I.P. It's probably the best acting and only good acting he's done in his career, so. Nah. Okay, so we since we haven't even mentioned him, I'm throwing a sort of wild card. I'm going to say another Wendell one, Pierce. but I want to mention him once. Is uh, Hassan Johnson as Weebay. Dude. Okay. Weebay's Are you character... shouting him out because of the meme they created about him? <laughs> oh, there's lots of good memes about Weebay. Dude, Weebay is the fucking... Maybe besides Chris... Uh, which we'll talk about. Chris Partlow. Uh, as being, yeah, exactly. Chris Partlow. As maybe the most vicious. Like, Weebay. Weebay knows his shit. And what I love about Weebay is he's like, remember that scene where he's sitting in there, he's like eating popcorn. He knows they got him for murder. And they're like, uh, oh, these other murders too. He's like, oh, yeah, I killed those motherfuckers too. <laughs> like, he didn't even do it. But he's just like, He's like, what the fuck? They're going to give me, like, 80 years or, like, 490 years. You know what I mean? Like, Weebay was so fucking badass. Um, Another good-looking guy, no? Also a good-looking dude. And he had a badass fish tank. <laughs> yes. These are my these are my beautiful. Remember when he was uh, when D'Angelo thought he was gonna cap him when he introduced <laughs> him to the dude? That was like one of the best. D'Angelo comes in. He's closing his eyes. He's like, oh no! He goes. They just feed me. All you gotta do is these are my Tetris. You just gotta feed them this food. They're just beautiful <laughs> as hell. You got <laughs> Kimmy and you got Alex and Aubrey and Jezebel in yeah, here somewhere. I don't know. Exactly. She thinks she's cute. <laughs> And he's so concerned about it. He's like, can I trust you to take care of him, though? Yeah, he was so concerned. Uh, but I honestly, my favorite character, whole thing, we've talked about him several times, Michael K. Williams, Omar Little. Ayo, you don't want to make me huff and puff. Dude, I mean, I don't know if we can say anything more about him, but... Uh, has there ever been, maybe, maybe, maybe there's been Oscars. Has anybody ever played a character so well? Yes. Really? Yeah, like, what, in movies or TV? No, this is what I'm saying. Like, people have probably played that character so well, but he played that character so perfectly. Like... So, what about Ben Kingsley and Gandhi? No, I agree with you. Uh, no, he was shit as Gandhi. But okay. my what about he was okay. But yeah, my what about, point is no, about yeah, Michael yeah. K. Williams. Javier Bardin as Chagurn. No, that was fucking great. All right, well, we're getting deep cuts here. Okay, well, Leonardo DiCaprio as Gilbert Grape's little brother. No, he was pretty good, but not that good. Uh, so worst characters. Oh, let me go first, please. Yes, go first. Listen, there's one stain on an ass crack, all right? That just drips and drips and stains your mama's damn no blinds and curtains. It. No one can avoid it. Ziggy, look. <clears throat> I don't know how to say this. Quite frankly, he's a scrub, all right? He's useless. 
Um, last episode we did a. He's got a big a, dick, apparently. So we did a show called. Uh, we did a show <laughs> Outer Base where I talked about a character I hate. Ziggy is right up there. If, with were, John if, B. if, if you were talking about a female character and she had huge tits, I would have said she had huge tits. So. Nevertheless. Ziggy is just the oh, first of all he's incompetent. Um, he's also a his, first of all his first name is what is it Chester? Yeah, Chester. Yeah. Yeah, and his middle name is Carol. Okay. <laughs> um, he keeps going to this Karen. trashy bar where he gets hammered and shows his dick and you know he, he, also the union didn't even want him there because he was worthless. They couldn't give him work because he was trash. He, he was looks like garbage. Clown entertainment. Yeah, his hair was bad. Um, he's supposed to be a drug dealer, uh, by a guy named White, who we're not right. impressed with either. Uh, I think, I think it's White Micah, essentially, right? Those thieving uh, motherfuckers. Yeah, he said that Ziggy was not good at selling drugs and it was a bad investment. Ziggy is all, often lambasted and made fun of and no one respects him. Worthless character all across the board. I don't know why they put him on here. Uh, he ruined what was already a trashy season. I think he represents a lot of people, though. Garbage. Like, just people that Garbage. try to live up to expectations of, mm-hmm. you know, someone that came before them, and they can't live, out to, I told live you up to that role. And You remember yeah. when I told you about those SATs when they change them? <laughs> right, right. He's emblematic of it, all right? His, his, the hardest SAT question he had is, how many damn miles can you go before you have to rotate the tires on your house? This guy's weak. But I'm saying, I like, agree, he's weak. As, he's a as, he's a very stupid character, but he has confidence. He's got that BDE energy, and that's kind of the whole point, I think, of his character. Like, um, he should not have gotten anywhere except through the confidence of his own like will to make things happen or whatever. Right. Scrub. Looking at it from his perspective, like. His father is, you know, the head of the union, and Correct. he's not even being groomed as a successor. It's his cousin, exactly. You know, because his cousin is more calculated. His cousin, he's is Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> so, I mean, if you think about it, well, Ziggy's Donald Trump Jr. or Eric Trump? Eric, uh, both of them are so bad. Donald Trump Jr.'s worse than Eric. Hmm. Yes, mm, I don't okay. know. Yeah. He's like Donald Trump gets. Donald yeah. Trump Jr. stole from a charity. He's not even allowed to run think, a charity legally. Like, if you're the president's son, you should be able to get get out of any legal bind that you're in. Donald Trump Jr. is not allowed to run a charity. Like in in the country, like. George Bush got away for, with, like, a lot of shit being drunk. And then got two votes from Scott. He did. But I'm just saying, he got away with a lot of shit. Donald oh, Trump man. Jr. isn't getting away with anything because he's so bad. So that's, like, a very significant uh, difference. Isn't Eric Trump the one who's, like, the safari uh, African elephant hunting guy? It doesn't matter. That was, like, was... four years ago. You're talking well, about I'm just saying, like, I feel like Ziggy's more Eric Trump than... You no, know, just incompetent and kind of there, like you know, a bit of a failure. Maybe you know? I mean he's bad everywhere. Well, yeah, listen, you know, he went I to mean, like he went to crappy schools like Georgetown. Hey, Ziggy, oh. Ziggy lived up to his expectation. I mean, he went and tried to rob that spot, got himself caught up in some shit, and he's fucked. Got shot in the face. Yeah, 
Yeah, wasn't he trying to like take steal digital cameras at one point too? If you remember that, he's yeah. like, "Hey, let's steal these digital cameras from the yeah." And he's like, "Hey, Nick, 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 hey Nick, exactly. hey Nick, Nicky. hey Nick, hey Nick." The point I was trying to get to is, I think, just from him being pushed aside from his dad. You know, he knew that the other union workers didn't like him. Every time he went to the bar, they clearly didn't want him around. And I think from him trying so hard to fit in, he tried to play a different persona. And we saw that where he shot the guy at the end when he was trying to rob that store right. and basically got himself caught up. Like, I think he just broke down, you know, from everything. They, they burned his fucking uh, Method Man, burned his fucking... Rolls Royce in his own mind, you know what I mean? By that it's old, old ass fucking Camaro, yeah, exactly. He's and weak, and <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so I'm gonna say that my pick for worst character is uh Dennis Cuddy Wise. <laughs> um, he is played by Chad Coleman, who uh plays spencer's father in chris wiggins favorite show all american um <laughs> he uh for those Friend that don't remember show, all <laughs> for those that don't remember so cuddy cuddy basically gets out of jail and he's a friend of avon's they basically came up together and so avon offers him work and um i think you know him coming out of jail he's a reform man and so they're basically trying to target some people from um, from Marlo's crew, and um, he has a chance to kill this guy, and he purposely shoots wrong, and so Slim comes wait. up and he's like, "Damn, man, you almost got him!" And um, so wait, wait, the he, dad from uh, Ricky Jarrett's dad and Spencer's dad are both on this uh, on this? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. I forgot. I just put two and two together when he said but "All Cuddy American." I was like, "Wait, I thought on. we." Had- Cuddy is a great character because he admits later on that yeah. he's like, "I had the chance to do it and I couldn't do it." Okay, all right. Yeah. Okay. With the Sorry. Lazy eye. What was his name? Sorry, Mike. Continue. Sof- he- uh, whatever. Uh, so Sephiro. Sephiro, yeah. Uh, well, because he, he deals a lot with Slim, the tall guy. Yeah. Slim's great. And so Slim, yeah. Shout out to Slim, too. Also another character I like. Um, but yeah, so then, you know, he transitions into, like, being a boxing coach. And, you know, he starts uh, attracting a lot of attention from a lot of the moms. And um, basically <laughs> shits in his own bed. Like, he recruits a lot of the youth to come in and train in boxing with them to try to inspire discipline and inspire courage and bravery and essentially ends up pushing some of these kids away because they find out that he's sleeping with their moms. Um, yeah. So I, I don't want to give him the worst character to say that he was the worst because I think his character by definition was good. But if I could give someone donkey of the day in the words of Charlemagne, I would give it to him. <laughs> Shitting in his own bed. <laughs> Literally. All right. So who do we look? We got a lot of great people. We got a lot of bad people. The show is the greatest show of all time. We've all admitted it. Who do we wish nothing but the worst? Ooh. <clears throat> Quite frankly, Ziggy. Now, <laughs> I wish that he could come back as a ghost, and then the Ghostbusters get him. 
straight up. But I mean, like Ziggy basically got the worst oh, handed to him. Like he got yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah. And I asked that he comes back yeah. as a ghost, and then the Ghostbusters get him when he thinks that he's gonna be able to haunt people, <laughs> and it's just like, Rup, sorry. <laughs> yeah, like not even like he doesn't like he doesn't get like a name in it. He just see his ghost. He's like, oh, and then they go, hey, we gotta go to Baltimore for a special assignment. They get him before he does shit. I have so I have two picks for this. Um, my first pick, I wish nothing but the worst to the Greek. Okay. Fuck him. Why? I didn't like his character. Um, why? I'll tell you a couple. Your name not why. even Greek. Um, for one, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's that was my biggest gripe. Like they referred him as a Greek. He's like, I'm not even Greek. What the fuck are oh, you? Oh, it's so good. We never find out. And no, like, you never you will. Know, I get what he represents. I, I get what he represented, you know, but I'm just like, what kind of a drug connect is he? Because he's smuggling women, he's smuggling in heroin, he's supplying all these things, but you look at him, he doesn't look intimidating. He's only got the one guy that's like his lieutenant, you know, his Spiros. henchman. Um, Spiros. And that dude also plays like a bad guy in every like small time role that he's in. Um, sure. I think he was in, uh, what's that movie with Will Ferrell and... Um, Kevin good, Hart, guys. Get Hard. Oh, Get, no, hard. get hard, so good, yeah, he was. Yeah, he, yeah, he plays a bad guy in that movie. Like, he has maybe, like, three lines, but he always plays, like, that same type of character. But, anyway, like, it's basically just them two. It's just, like... One of his best away? movies ever where he had the most lines was Houseguest with Sinbad. Oh, Lord. That's <laughs> oh, awful. Shit. Back in the day. We're talking about... No, but he had... He had uh, that's the most lines he's ever had in his life. In a movie. I'm just saying. Yeah, so I want to wish him nothing but the worst to the Greek because he never got caught. So hopefully something happened to him. Uh, the other thing I want to wish nothing but the worst to is, um, and I'm probably going to get killed for this, but the Baltimore accent. Ah! That accent <laughs> is terrible. <laughs> it is bad. Every it's time the wrong I heard... city for us to be insulted. <clears throat> Uh, I know, man. Uh, I got a preposition yeah. for uh, you. And again, uh, it is Mike. It is Mike who insulted. <laughs> I love the Baltimore accent as well as the Detroit accent, the Gary, Indiana accent, and the Memphis, Tennessee, and the St. Louis, and the Flint nah, accent. Hey. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just fucking. Mike accent, said he. Pro- I, I feel like we yeah. we didn't talk about it enough. Like Bill Duval had a poll. He was like, whose accent is the worst? And everybody on Duval's page. And his, on his Twitter page, was like, yo, that Baltimore accent is pretty rough. <laughs> well, we love the Baltimore um, people, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I do. I do. I love the Baltimore yeah. people. Mike doesn't. Uh, one of my favorite scenes like I... illustrating the Baltimore accent was uh, when Snoop goes in to buy the nail gun. That was like a very but perfect But that's Boston another accent. person who had an authentic accent. And I Correct. I'm kind of pissed that we didn't really talk about it, but... Another quick shout out to Snoop from The Wire. Um, for those that don't know, Snoop basically got casted as an extra. She was always hanging around like the set as they were filming the first season and the second season. And from hanging around so much, just the way that she looked and the way that she dressed, they decided to offer her a role as an extra and then decided just to give her some lines and add her on in a continuous role. And... Um, I think that was great. I mean, uh, I think that's 
a success story for anyone yeah. to be able to say like hey like I'm an individual who didn't really have a career or a background in acting and you know just from the authenticity that I portrayed like to be able to be added on there and and she did a good she role. That snoop, like, she did a good job snoop. in the role. It's like snoop snoop. snoop. Yeah. yeah. Nothing like yeah, nothing like Baltimore. So just say, hey, my... honey, could you get me some water? <laughs> the, snoop. the pillar the pillar yeah. by the window was a little bit cold on Monday. The worst XM of all time. Chris, who do you have as uh no, so, worst character? The oh, last yeah, person yeah, I yeah. want to mention on here, and th- this is this is a real one because my last one was just a joke, and Chris Wiggins totally threw me under the bus and had me run over. What you said it yourself? What the hell? I was being sarcastic, bro. Oh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> I I it's a lot wish of nothing but the worst to Marlo Marlo Stanfield. Okay. I don't know if I'm the only one that didn't like him. He essentially Marlo is like amazing. He kind of got away. Fuck Marlo, I didn't like him. <laughs> Why not? And I'll leave it at that. Why not? All right. Yeah. Why not? I. Why not? Okay, I'll give a couple of reasons why not. Just real quick, so I don't take up more time. But he just—he was not the type of dude that. I guess, like, I would consider, you know, like, a foe to begin with, you know. But the way he moved, I guess you could say, like, he was really just one of those guys that was, like, like a, like what you would consider, like, a sleeper, you know. Like, I think Avon overlooked him because he thought that he could pow- overpower him and just kick him off his block. And right. then for him to come in and just start cal- uh, killing off all these people in a ruthless way, like, I just, I didn't like the way he moved, man. Like chris and snoop putting you know these people in abandoned buildings and basically like walking them in there and killing them and then just putting nails on the doors like you know people were so afraid of him and i was just like fuck man fuck these guys like i really want them just to you know get their own taste so i don't know what about the last episode where he gets in a fist fight fucking fucks that dude up right well at that point you know he's living a low profile but still maintaining that persona like the guy basically you know calls him out because he doesn't know who he is you know and i think he's used to people respecting him and being afraid of him for what i had just mentioned you know his ruthlessness and then the guy tests him and then he beats the shit out of him and and i think that was just kind of the story's way of saying like hey like you can try to live this new identity but who you are is still going to stick with you or you're going to miss you know, this persona that you've created. Yeah, I think Milo is not, he wasn't the worst. I mean, uh, for me, I hated Brawls, which we didn't talk about. He was definitely gay, which isn't a bad thing. But uh, did you guys know that Lieutenant Rawls was gay? Yes. Okay, cool. I didn't know that. Uh... <laughs> I hated Evan Burrell. Damn. Wait, hold on. That guy sucked. (laughs) He's like, oh, I'm black and I can do whatever I want. Uh, But I can be really shitty at all my whole job and it's awful. And that's all he played was like, this is his whole persona. And everybody hated him. Like, it was very, like, only Rawls liked him. He also always plays, like, 
a lieutenant role. Right. Like, I don't know also, if I've ever seen him play anything different. Correct. Also, fuck Presbolewski. This motherfucker, he didn't deserve to be a teacher. This guy should have gone to jail, like, 12 times. Like, he's the one who shot Why? the black cop. He's the one who fucking hit the kid who was 15 with a fucking uh, pistol whipped him. And Lieutenant Lieutenant Daniels protected him. Didn't he Fuck also fire guy. a gun when they were in their new Correct. office? Yeah, he shot the, the guy. Base? No, 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 no. Yeah. He accidentally just shot the wall. Oh, in, into the wall, yeah. Like, in yeah. the first first episode of when he was in the season yeah he's a fucking idiot so fuck prez uh thank you all for sticking with us the wire is the greatest show of all time also yep we never mentioned this before but here's what's fucked up the wire never won an emmy not one yeah a absolute travesty never they only got nominated for two Emmys ever, which is Riding by David Simon. So all of these actors, everything... Whatever. Fucking... So fucking stupid. You know what's crazy? Um, I don't think any I don't think any of the actors who are on the show have won uh, Emmys or Oscars either. Or Golden Globes or SAGs. Like I thought in that anything else. Uh, McNulty did. For what? The Affair. No, oh, I know he's in that. Maybe. All right, I stand corrected. He did best actor. Okay, or best uh, never mind. Actor. All right, all right, guys, I was wrong. So here's so how I'm gonna understand. end this. Do we have? Oh, a when you walk through this? the garden, you gotta tear your path. When you go through Jesus on the straight and narrow path. Which garden is this? Season two. No, no, which garden is that? I don't know what it is. I ain't walking through that garden. I ain't either, man. Yeah, all right. But we is should there, all walk through the same conspiracy? garden. Oh, are we going to do a conspiracy? Well, dude, this show illustrated the perfect conspiracy. Here's the thing. Uh, when Oliver North introduced crack cocaine to urban communities, what was the response? War on drugs. A literal war. Not an allegorical war. Literally. Uh, police force, militarized police force, everything that we do. How did our government respond to the opioid epidemic? Oh, they made clinics in suburban, suburban night areas. And then they said, uh, uh, we're going to have free clinics in rural areas. No difference there. Systemic racism doesn't exist because Candace Owens said that in the Hodge <laughs> Fuck them. I don't care about their fucking comedy. All right, bye. We'll see you next week for the Benches Assemble. <laughs> oh, man.